0: Welcome to the Killzone Podcast, part of the Frontline Gaming Network. This is the third episode that the Frontline Gaming Network is publishing on their main feed to help us kickstart the podcast. All future weekly episodes will be on our own podcast feed, so if you like this show, make sure to subscribe now so you don't miss the next episode. Just search for Killzone Podcast on your favorite podcast app, or click the link in the description.
1: The Frontline Gaming Network presents the Killzone Podcast. The Killzone Podcast. With your hosts... Pyranid 40K, Sheldon from Kill Team Stream, and Emmanuel from Strategic Advantage. Tournament news, tactics, and strategy. Tune in every week to hear real talk for competitive Kill Team. Get
2: ready to enter the Kill Zone.
0: Like the intro just said, you have entered the kill zone. Welcome back, to returning listeners, and those of you new to the podcast. This is Bearded 40K, and I'm joined by Manuel Mitsunikos from Strategic Advantage on YouTube. Hey, everyone. And the big TO in charge of many major U.S. kill team tournaments, Sheldon Steer, also known as Kill Team Stream. Hey, everybody. We've got a great show for you coming up. Starting off, we're going to talk about how the heck you can start a kill team group in your area if you live in a place where nobody plays. Do you live in a kill team desert? If so, you don't want to miss this segment.
1: After that, we'll talk about activation order and kind of checklist approach that can help you make some quick in-game decisions and win more games. So stay tuned because the Kill Zone podcast is coming your way right after we pay some bills
2: with these messages. Get ready Kill Team for the biggest event in the history of the game, the Kill Team Open February 19th through 20th at the Marriott Waterfront in the beautiful Baltimore Inner Harbor. This event will be a celebration of the Kill Team community. Completely focused on the Game of Kill Team and all its players, featuring a 64-player major tournament over two days, streamed live by Kill Team Stream with celebrity commentators Glacial Geek and Squad Tactica. For more casual players, we've got the ultra-chill Kill Team After Dark on Saturday night, followed by a massive Spec Ops narrative event on Sunday to unleash your inner role player. For hobbyists in our community, we've got six incredible workshops with three amazing instructors covering topics from painting non-metallic metals all the way to kit bashing. This event will also be the international premiere of the Squad Goals Painting Competition, organized by Mike and Dan of the Listening to Paint Dry podcast. We've got it all free catered lunch day one for championship players, swag bags, raffles, open play tables, discounted hotel rates, and more. None of it would be possible without the support of over two dozen sponsors and vendors we have on board right now. Check it out at killteamopen.com and get your tickets before they're gone. You don't
1: want to miss this event.
0: All right, so the bills are paid. What are you guys building right now? What are you guys up to?
1: I had some fun with, uh, UV paint this week. Um, I had bought a bunch of really bad, I mean, really, really bad UV paint off of Amazon. It was like a 10 pack for five, eight bucks, something like that. This stuff is barely finger paint. <laughs> At best, um, Sheldon, you ended up buying the same listing off of Amazon after I did, right?
2: Yep. Yeah, that stuff is uh, pretty awful. It's kind of chalky, but, you know, it does the job when the black lights go on. So, I mean, what are you going to Can't complain too much?
1: <laughs> well, what I first did with it, and this looks amazing. Um, I dotted one of my orcs eyes red with the red UV ink um, and under the black light for those who aren't aware why i'm suddenly obsessed with uv paint and backlights, uh black lights um it's because of uh, kill team after dark at lvo and at kto um shortly after um you have a ton of like uv cannons right just basically just cancer rockets that are going to be shooting down <laughs> <laughs> all well, on the tables right
2: i mean i have i have one no big uv on your <laughs> i have one big uv cannon <laughs> and then a bunch of smaller
1: lights but yeah hopefully no cancer <laughs> yeah 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 we'll, we'll just all you'll hand out sunscreen right at the door why do we need this we're indoors <laughs> <laughs> but, oh yeah.
0: yeah i um i actually saw um just with people listening you had shown me that work that you yes. like one of the works that you did i thought that you had installed leds like even if it's chalky you guys are saying all this about the paint it looked like glowing light coming off of this thing it was amazing. it looked
1: amazing yeah and without the UV w- without the black light flashlight um, just looks like red it's actually really good for just dotting the eyes. so I'm literally gonna go through all the rest of the orcs for my uh, for my green scans for my commandos for my uh, my death watch All my orc things in my case, they're all going to have that. So my my travel case, even though it's not going to be my After Dark team, my travel case is just going to be a sea of glowing red eyes when I open it at LVO. That's awesome. But I I did also experiment with trying to touch up the highlights on my Ardley Quins because I think they're the ones I'll probably play at uh, uh, LVO After Dark, not for the competitive event, but for the After Dark event. And it's just garbage. I, I, I put about ten <laughs> to fifteen thin layers to try and not get streaky, chalky garbage out of these paints, and I was unsuccessful. So I went and threw more money at the problem, and I, I bought the full set of Green Stuff World's fluorescent paints. Uh, they'll be getting here um, in about a week. Nice. Uh, so hopefully, so hopefully that's enough time for me to touch up eight harlequins to be to have enough to play under glowy glowy nonsense, but this week, while I'm waiting for that paint, I'm going to at least finish modeling up all my kit-bashed, uh, trader Astartes. Um, I finished up the heavy, the, uh, heavy bolter, um, half orc, half alpha legion Astartes today, and in order to get the arms right, I had to re-sculpt biceps and elbows and stuff like that. Um, it, it was about... (laughs) two hours of green stuff work for one model so I don't know if I'll have those done in time oh wow
0: yeah that was um, I had a similar thing uh, when I was doing the conversions for my little gene stealers for 2.0 where I wanted that little the the one that had half his face blown off like instead Mm -hmm. of you know old one eye it's kind of like new little tiny one eye (laughs) Um, that took a lot of different uh, sessions basically to get going it was very small some of it was short you know but it was like okay we're rebuilding musculature of the jaw now you Mm -hmm. know and then it's like okay let that dry then it's or cure and then it's like okay we got to put the put the the skin over that and stuff stuff that effect so you're actually you know anatomically you're putting the stuff there it's really interesting which i had never you know i've always enjoyed the models and stuff but i had never attempted sculpting before really so it was it was interesting to try and follow in the footsteps of some of these guys that make the the little dies that that we play with.
1: (laughs) And uh, do you use uh, sculpting tools? Do you get those little dental tools to kind of help out with that? Or are you using just whatever you got lying around the hobby shelf?
0: So, funnily enough, the best thing that worked for me because these were so small um, was uh, a paintbrush and um, uh, actually the X-Acto knife. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because like with the back of it, you know, the edge of it, the, the little... There's like a triangle type piece where it comes off the bottom. It's like you get little things for texture and, you know, getting little tiny pieces off to hold it. And then also uh, the green stuff didn't stick to it as bad. If I got the blade wet and then put the green Mm -hmm. stuff on, it it was much better than some of the other stuff. And it was kind of like, you know, you let this sit for a little bit, come back an hour or so later, and you could smooth it out with a paintbrush. It it worked pretty cool. Paintbrush and water.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I bought a a few of those... um specialty green stuff uh like dental tool type things and i it really like comes down to it sometimes your your fingers and a and a exacto knife are really the best for actually making stuff look good yeah but yeah
1: and are you using just the metal dental tool kind of, uh, sculpting tools or do you have the silicone ones? Cause I each, I just have the metal ones and every kind of like YouTube sculpting video that I look at, they also have these like silicone ones that have just a little bit of give to them. And I, it seems like you get such a nice smooth finish with your sculpting that sometimes I, I find I lack with the dental tool. So I'm curious to hear if you have those and if you'd recommend yeah,
2: them. I have both. Yeah. I have the, the. The really strong metal ones and then i have yeah those like rubber tipped ones mm. that um i've used a couple of times but honestly you know they don't they don't do exactly what i want them to do you know what they what you'd think that they'd be doing um i've personally not had good results from them but I, i'm not you know some triple a rated sculptor that's doing these amazing things i'm just trying to like add some flesh to a flayed one and that sort of thing so it's pretty pretty low-key green stuff work i'm doing most of my conversion work i try to do with just like the plastic cement and actual plastic pieces so i'm not doing too much green stuff unless i have to
1: well two things number one you're doing it right if that's what you're uh, using for flayed one flesh, because that's how they do it in the lore anyway. They're not using <laughs> anything soft to get that flesh. Uh, number two, uh, you know where I live. Send me your silicon tools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I can. I'm not really using them anymore. So
2: uh, if you want or them, I'll send them down. Them to,
1: uh, <laughs> yeah, or at least bring them to LVO so I could tool around with them just a little bit, see if I want to invest.
2: Yeah, that, yeah no problem. Yeah, and then what I've been getting into, uh, still working on my. Uh, Kill Team Open uh, uh, raffle commandos that I've got. I've been putting in a bunch of orange for the uh, the rusted metal. and oh, uh nice. Yeah, and doing that. And uh, I did a layer of, of skin undercoating because uh, I want them to look kind of like icy snow orcs. And mm. so uh, I've got like a really dark kind of blue tone to go underneath. And then I'm going to kind of build it up from there with like slightly... Uh, lighter blue to eventually white for the skin <laughs> i know heresy not green orcs but you know i think it's a cool look i saw someone do a similar look on uh on facebook one of the groups that i follow and oh my god i was like instantly hooked i'm like oh man do i need to start an orc team and then i was like you know what <laughs> i'm just gonna do the one Answer's always yes yeah join I was like, us wow <laughs> I was like, I'm just gonna do one little team, and then I'm gonna donate them, and then I don't have to buy a billion orcs. Cause I, I know there's like two teams where it's like, Tyranids and orcs. I'm terrified of because if I ever bought them,
1: I would just like go broke. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah, they, um, they have ahead, horde Chris.
0: army in common. You know, horde armies are just that way, man. They're, you end up <laughs> with so many of them.
1: And Chris, uh, what about those? Uh, weren't you making bird-like? um nids at a certain point
0: no um those were some posts that were going around that I was getting tagged in uh, oh, people know okay. I love the birds but uh right yeah but man i, I don't have the sculpting skills for that stuff oh <laughs> i what okay you might be thinking about my mohawk stealer that was half croot.
1: yes that's the one that's the one oh, okay that's nice
0: so yeah because in the lore people don't people don't know this i'm a you know competitive player i also know the lore about my jeans stealers um the they hatch or whatever like like when they come out of the hive they have the feeder tendrils you know they look like the m-garl what do they call that the kathulu kind of thing yeah Yeah. so those are like the pure pure strains when they go through a human or whatever it happens to be like they take on aspects of the hosts you know because they're they actually collect dna as they go along and mm-hmm. so you'll see them change. Like if one went through an orc population or something, what's produced from that, the future generation stealers have orc characteristics because it's uh, it's in there. And I have theories about this. I don't know if we're able to go into that.
1: Uh, oh, quite oh a bit. I, I, <laughs> I, I have something to say about the orc gene Stealer. There's actually something yeah, I okay. do know about that, but you finish your thought first.
0: I was just going to say that, you know, so this is one single model that uh, the concept for him is that he uh, is, the you know, he, he's from a fruit infestation he is the offspring of you know a curse in that uh population basically so he has a beak and i chopped up that 30 off ebay uh <laughs> little fruit guy just to get his little hair all that stuff sculpted a beak so, yeah oh the
1: blackstone one oh yes. wow yeah, yeah. That's, a gr- that's a good one that's a good diet greg that yeah. one's that one's cool yeah, yeah so oh had... uh, sorry you finish sorry
0: yeah, I was just going to say, because um, I had other crew access, uh, but it wasn't quite as fine um, The and, and new. Those are older sculpts. Sorry, Manuel.
1: Oh, no, you're fine. Um, so the what I was going to say about orcs and uh, gene stealers is what I've heard is that whenever an orc is infected with the gene stealer virus, they're too calm. They're not as aggressive as other orcs. So other orcs seems like... Whoa. Something wrong with this lad, and they crump him. So that's why you never see a gene stealer orc, or you never have that. What's your What's your take?
0: Uh, I have some some lore on that as well, because there was a thing about a space hulk that was infected. Uh, the orcs came across it and wanted to use it for transportation. It had a gene stealer infestation, and the gene stealers were such a good fight that they purposely would allow them to reproduce in a certain section of the ship so that they could pass <laughs> this long voyage through space with the ability to battle.
1: That's, that, yeah. yes, that is true. I will accept that as canon. <laughs> it
0: was in one of the codexes, I, I distinctly remember it, it might've been uh, six that. Can't remember if it was Orcs or Tyranids, because I used to look at both.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. Now, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned briefly, it's like, oh, I'm a competitive player, but I know the lore from my Gene Slayers and stuff like that. But um, trying to segue into our first topic of today, I think the lore is a big part of what can help you build up a community for kill team
0: yeah yeah it's it's really gonna be an interesting subject to talk about because I mm-hmm. think all three of us have um, to varying degrees uh, fostered little pockets of kill team um, and you know there might be some different perspectives and things like that and it's kind of cool because somebody listening to this, this is something that we have experienced. I lived in a kill team desert, and you know had to start a, start a thing after LVO. Yeah, it was just between LVO and BAO, the scene that was out here died, and I didn't have games, and I was just like, what do I do? You know, last edition. So that you know, I had to do this, and I think that same with Sheldon. I think that in Oakland you started a thing. And you, uh, Emmanuel, um, started one that kind of intersects with the one that I had going on and stuff. That you had, you know, it was kind of a drive for you, wasn't it? And then, Mm -hmm. so you, yeah, you were able to have a closer thing. So even if it's not total isolation, maybe instead of driving an hour, if you have a store that you would rather play at, this is potentially maybe some stuff to think about as well uh, that that you can do. So I think it's going to be a cool thing to
1: talk about. And I think the timeline you're you're talking about is uh, LVO of 2019 is I think when when this yes. was happening to is that right?
2: Yeah, the uh, first
0: edition. Yep.
2: The cool thing is, is like now you know, looking back on it, years after we had started all this work, you know, now uh, when I look at like the analytics I'm seeing here on like the kill team open, like California is like one of the hotspots for kill team, you know, and. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really cool to like see. Oh, this was like the active like response to all the work we put in building this, and you know, I think anybody can see that happen in their own community if they're sort of like a hobby hero in that regard.
1: And what you're uh, what you're referring to the analytics for KTO is just seeing where those tickets are being purchased out of, like where people are going to be coming from for um, Kill Team Open. Is that what you mean?
2: Uh, just like the. The clicks and like the views and everything like oh. people people who are actually looking at it, because then I can kind of gauge like this is the interest in different areas. Funny enough, oh, cool. just a little side point, the, uh, the two biggest areas were Pennsylvania and uh, California in the US. <laughs> nice. And I think that has All a lot right. to do with like Steve and Dave doing their big work out there and with the Kill Team John and then you know, you guys down south and me up here kind of Heading up the California area.
1: So, uh, Chris, why don't you uh, why don't you take it away and just talk about what you did when you you found yourself in that vacuum after LVO and what what you did to kind of foster foster a uh, community back up.
0: Okay. Um, so the first thing that uh, I did um, is I the way I would phrase this is marry up to a store. Um, find a store that you vibe with. Like this is a place where I had tried to play 40k and nobody was playing Necromunda and stuff like that. I was trying to do skirmish. Um, and this is again, you know, before first edition. Um, and I had to, had no friends out here because I had, you know, moved here from Las Vegas. Suddenly I'm in LA. So I would go in there. I was buying paint and I started like participating in little things that they had. Like they had a um, painting class that I took. Uh, things like that. So you know step one I believe is marry it up to a store like find one that you can really get along with that vibes well with you and stuff like that That's close like Emerald Nights is five seconds from my house you know uh, and I like it I like it there
1: yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Um, I I had an LGS that was five minutes from my home as well. I've moved since then, another 15 minutes away. But that's, that's <laughs> how not dare gonna, they? It's I know, <laughs> right? How dare they not move with me, right? But uh, <laughs> but 15 minutes is no big deal, and and. Getting in good with a local shop is amazing because not only are they motivated to find space for you because by creating a scene you're bringing people in, but then you develop that relationship. That's that creates it a really creates a really fun place for you to be. Um, it it's nice to have almost like a home away from home. I mean, my LGS became so much of like. I got married to my LGS so much, I guess, to use your terms, Chris. Um, <laughs> I, I would go there when I wasn't playing Kill Team. just to, We watched Aliens um, with the LGS owner just in the shop while people were playing a modern tournament or something like that. Like, developing and fostering that relationship with the LGS is amazing. And then on the back end of that... I never have to worry about getting any of my pre-orders in. If it's an orc thing, <laughs> the LGS owner knows already just to put me down for a pre-order. So I'm never stressing stressing out about refreshing that GW shop ever again. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally the
2: same way with... Uh, there's a couple shops in my area. I'm pretty lucky there's a lot of shops in the Bay Area. But uh, my big one right now is the Game uh, Games of Berkeley. Because it's just mm. like a 15-minute drive from me. And I love all the people that work there. They're super cool. And like uh, like you were just saying, anytime something comes up on the thing for Kill Team, just in general, Kill Team, it's like, hey, Sheldon, (laughs) you're probably going to want this, right? Yep. Yep. How many do you have available? (laughs) I'll get
0: them all. The thing that, you know, I would say, I think is the next step that kind of occurred to me. um, Well, first of all, uh, I didn't know I was doing this, marrying up to a store at this point, right? When Kill Team was (laughs) announced, I had had the negative experience of could not play Necromunda because there were no players. I went to a GW store, asked the GW employee, hey, um, you know, how do I get to play this? And he said, you know, we don't have any kind of support for uh, playing this game at the moment. There is a sign up for people that maybe might be interested, right? And so it was like, I couldn't play that game, couldn't play Shadow War, all that stuff. So when Kill Team came out, and, and don't take this to the extreme that I did, I started a YouTube channel and I called... <laughs> the um the city to ask about if I had to pay or whatever to be able to have like a kill team day every month or something like that. And, and it was based off of the because I was reading the Necromunda rule book, they had this, I forget what phrase they used, but it was like you're an arbiter or something um, and you create these like campaigns. And I, I was like, oh I can make a newsletter, like, oh this thing won this this thing at this time, blah blah blah. But what ended up happening and what ended up being what I would now suggest you to think about um, is look to see the fragmented populations of people that are playing or playing an allied game system or something like that um, in your shop that you have local because what I noticed is there were some people playing Blood Bowl only like there was this little group of three friends and there was this little group of three friends that did do Kill and then there was this little group but, but not a lot they, they had come and then they had gone And stuff, and then there was little groups that did 40K, but not at the same time. These ones came Wednesdays. These ones were there on the weekends. So the idea started to form, and this is what I would talk about. um, How do I bring these disparate people together and create a unified front? And I don't know if I should jump into that, or if you guys have something you would like to say first on that point.
1: Yeah. um, Trying to bring people to a unified schedule or at least something where people know when to show up when other people are playing something they would be interested in um, is, is clutch. Because I, it's if you don't have that relationship with your LGS Switch, anyone taking notes, step one, uh, they're <laughs> not going to be willing to help communicate that around for you because they don't know who the heck you are. They don't know what your motivations are. They don't know that you want to be building up a scene. So if you're just there complaining that oh man no one's here to play games this this sucks right they're they're not going to vibe with that right but if you're upfront saying hey you know I want to be I want to be your guy to help promote kill team I want to be here to help teach games I want to here be here to demo games I want to be here to build enthusiasm I'm going to be here on Thursdays um, or whatever day tends to be, if you're more flexible, whatever day tends to be when other people show up, that can help kind of bring everyone, all these small little clusters of people saying, oh, people play on Thursdays? Yeah, I could do Thursdays. And that was my tactic at Dark Side Games by me. Um, Thursdays was the day that they didn't have a magic tournament. That's why Thursdays <laughs> were chosen. So we yeah, had all exactly. the space. Yeah, we had That's all the space important. available to us.
0: Yeah, so- you're... Sorry, I was just gonna say that you just don't get in when they're having a magic tournament. That this is the constant competition, right? Is it's like yeah. you know—that's rule
2: number, number might, one of gaming:
0: yes. <laughs> never compete with magic.
2: Yeah. You're rule number have...
1: two: do not compete with magic.
0: Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so going through my own steps, the the next thing that I did is you know, and, and it's coming back to Manuel's point where he talked about having this regular thing and. And the way you phrased it was really good there because, or, you know, really well done because you've said it in a way um, that I think really touched on what worked for me as well. Because I think if you walk in and just say, hey, I want to do this, you know, X kill team thing. What matters is the motivation. So what I basically said is that I wanted to have regular things where people come together and play kill team um, and you know, uh, this was like a set timed kind of a thing, where where there was something that they could put on their Facebook page or whatever it happened to be, maybe hang a flyer. That now they're also helping to build mm-hmm. your community with you. Um, and but like I was saying, that the important thing there is a motivation. I'm really glad you touched on that because you know I don't know necessarily if there's a bad motivation to get into kill team or something like that but if they know that you're there all the time and you're looking for a game and and you're there to teach and stuff like that if you now ask them to kind of set this time aside i think that they're more open to that you know uh now seeing that it's not like a get rich quick scheme or a fly by night that you're there all the time stuff to that nature and i mean all the time is relative like once a week something stable but what clinched it for me and i don't know if this is going to be the same for you guys but i the way it went is i walked up to the register and now i know this person's name they know my name and i say hey i would like to host a kill team tournament and i think that this is a really interesting thing to focus on uh and and you know maybe some of you might feel different but
1: well, I just wanted to say, Chris, get out of my brain. That's literally okay. what I was gonna say. If you weren't gonna say start running tournaments, yes. then I was gonna say it's like that. That's key. Um, I'll, I'll let you finish your thought because I, I have a lot of, I have yeah. too many thoughts about this.
0: Me so too. There's <laughs> a specific way to phrase this, okay? The way because, like we talked about, you're competing with Magic and you know maybe Digimon. I don't know what people are playing this these days, but um, X Wing, uh, whatever it happens to be. So you have to think about it from a store's perspective. What I did is I said, look, I would like to do a kill team tournament. I would like there to be, say, like, to make it worth your time, $5 or so per entry. And then the prize support is given out in gift cards. So whatever people spend here is actually going back to the store. And it's a period of time where you know that it's now yes, you're blocking away this space for us. Yes, you're blocking away this time for us, but there's going to generate revenue, um, which can make it, you know, maybe worth your while a little bit. And they were very receptive to that. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's been the case for you guys as well, but that's kind of the way to phrase it. You know, five bucks ahead, get in there and,
2: you know. Oh yeah, totally agree. And uh, one of the cool things about just tournaments in general and and this applies to i think any game is that it's just easier to get the word out about that sort of thing there's so many other avenues there's like you know things like bcp and game four and like uh you know these websites that you can put stuff on and, and generate more interest than it would if it was just like game night you know that sort of thing people and it 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 also kind of like lets you engender sort of a better relationship with the store because they think, oh, wow, he managed to get all these people here. But really, you're just like putting it out on a couple like, you know, little forums or whatever. Uh, That's sort of how I got my
1: start as well. Yeah, that that that's exactly right. Uh, The tournaments not only um, give a space and reinforce that you're providing value to the store, which reinforces that relationship but they're so easy to advertise with exactly what you said, Sheldon. Um, We were getting people coming down from, coming down, flip-flop that, coming up from San Diego, coming from, I mean, Utsicle would come all the way from Long Beach to play in tournaments. Um, And these are, for those who don't know California, even though stuff is kind of close, things are hours away. So these are like, hour to almost two hour drives that people were taking to play in tournaments at this place. And then I think the busiest, the biggest tournament that we had at Darkseid in the before times was 12, 14, low teens, low teens in a a gaming shop, which some RTTs might struggle to get, you know? Um, and, And that was all from all these simple steps. And to reinforce how well these steps work uh, i've done it twice now in the before times and now in the current times to rebuild up a community again where people are kind of more comfortable not um, and that's 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 just kind of proof that it does work that being said I'm also very fortunate to actually have people in the area that are going to be receptive to this. So it's not a guarantee, hundred percent, anything like that. But if they're there, this is how you can bring people to build that community.
0: Absolutely, and just you know, circling back, you made a very good point that you know I also wanted to touch on is that um, even if people are not immediately in your area, I do not think people realize how easy it is to register your events through the Best Coast Pairing app and then suddenly you are uh, farming ITC points for people. And If you have tourney grinders and things like that, this is where a true Kill Team desert where nobody even plays can start to grow because you will have people come in like emmanuel said one hour two hour we had people coming from san diego we had people coming from sacramento you know these are drives some of these are like six hour drives and Mm -hmm. stuff to come in and play because it's like you know what there's only so many of these events per year where it would have been possible for them um, they're also experiencing some of this in their own neighborhood. Maybe they're a tourney grinder that wants to go to a bigger event, LVO or something, and would like to experience a different meta group of players than their, the, the pool of available players that exist in their specific area. Um, so there's just a lot that goes on to that. But the TLDR is once you start having the tournaments, you have people coming together that exist in your small area and then you have people that are like, oh, that's not that far, that come in as well and become regulars. And then you have people that live out of town that want ITC points or want to experience a tournament or something to that effect and will come in for that. So it's like Emmanuel said with the you know low teams, I think we got there very quickly uh, with, mm-hmm. with Darkseid, right? When you were, mm-hmm. you were hosting Dark Side. So it, it's just like, you know, right away people uh, start showing up and it's it's a really cool thing because we went uh, in my area like i said i could not find a game from LBO 2019 through to bao which i believe is like two and a half months three months and um that kind of goes into the next point i'll, I'll talk about it in a moment but um after that we had a regular thing we not only had that but people we started going to tournaments together we started going to these majors socal open and stuff like that and we were a team we were a a group and even if some people were off in different pockets and stuff like that we were still unified after this you know because your home store might be in pasadena or whatever but you have come out you know me and burbank or you know north hollywood whatever Um, we are still interacting at that point and it's not out of the realm of possibility to see you once a month or something like that because you know, maybe if I can play two weekends a year, I might go to a manual store and, and, and do one, and I might have one in my area uh, as well. And so then I'm getting two tournaments a month suddenly from nothing, it was, it was really great. And there were times I think we had one month prepping for uh, SoCal, I think we had three tournaments in a month, something like that, um, and practicing on the side, things of that nature but uh yeah if there's anything uh else to be said on that uh i think that you know because i have one more thing that i wanted to give a tip uh so so if you guys have any comments on that
2: i just wanted to say like you know the uh when i first was looking for an event i mean there was nothing on bcp when i tried to find it that very first time that's what set this whole thing off was i went on and i was trying to find an event trying to find it i was like oh you know there's got to be a tournament around here somewhere nothing and that was eventually why i ended up going to lvo the first time was because there it was the only event i could find and i was like oh this is you know and then when i came back from lvo i was like i could do that you know i could run a tournament you know i just got some terrain and a lot of the times when you go to like a game store they'll have terrain there they'll have some boards you can use or something you know like table space things that you wouldn't have otherwise and a lot of those resources are available in those stores and you know the game stores want people to come in they want and if somebody's giving them a reason to bring people in it's like you know they're excited like they're like you want to try and bring more people to my store like this is amazing like you know and uh you know if you want that regular game night Sometimes that's the perfect segue into like having a good relationship with the store is ask about one simple event You know, most people one event isn't a big deal and then you know Next thing, you know, you're doing, you know, Thursday night kill team, you know that sort of thing, right? (laughs) It's pretty uh, pretty cool how that
1: that uh that works Yeah, and one final thing because I know we've gone pretty long on this but um one final thing just to um that i want to mention before i throw it back to you chris is um all of this kind of tournament and relationship building and bringing players there that's all important but i think the most important and this is where emmanuel gets gets there with the feel goods is you got to be an ambassador you got to be the guy that's going to bring enthusiasm the guy or gal that's going to bring enthusiasm that's going to be willing to put in the time and effort to teach to pause your game when someone comes by and says whoa what's going on here this looks really cool because those tournaments draw eyes people are going to come by they're going to ask questions don't don't be that guy that says we're busy, we're in a tournament or I'm making a decision now. It's like, oh yeah, come take a look at this. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to shoot this guy with some hot plasma or if I'm going to run over here and punch this guy in the chin. <laughs> and that, and getting excited, building that excitement up for someone else, and then knowing the lore to throw some funny little kind of quips or some interesting little facts about the world around this um, game can really help someone kind of take that first step into getting invested not only just time wise but interest wise in this whole world that's 40k but then into Kill Team and want to come learn and hang out and I mean to peel back the curtain a little bit, a big reason why Alex and I started Strategic Advantage was to build our own tutorial resources to help build our own community. So it's funny that you mentioned, don't do what I did. It's not, you don't all have to start YouTube channels just to build up a community. <laughs> but in a weird way, Alex and I kind of did the same thing yeah. too.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it's really, you know, it's, it's interesting how, how similar uh, these journeys, you know, sound between mm-hmm. three different people that have done it um you know and so i didn't even know you know you've done it twice now so mm-hmm. that's that's really interesting so it's like you're getting if you guys are listening you're hearing this success uh four times now you know so uh this this has worked at least for us i hope it works for you as well but i just wanted to give one last final tip and then you know maybe we can talk if, if there's some thoughts on any aspects or something like that but i was just going to say when it comes to running that tournament that can feel very overwhelming i want you to If it's your first tournaments, and and maybe forever, consider that especially your first tournaments are prep tournaments, okay? So what you're doing is you are riding the coattails, at least this is what worked for me. You're riding the coattails on an event that is soon to come, or has recently happened. So you know uh, like SoCal Open came up this is when I was trying to do the building at that point Um, we played for three months we got three months of that tournament because we had had the packet early Um, and and so that's something that I would just kind of put out to you guys uh, because you have it all laid out for you and I know Sheldon if you look at his stuff you know kill team stream um, resources that are out there you can get a hold of his packets and things like that or hey you have you know different things like, even if it's different terrain, whatever, um, you can do whatever you got to do through using an established pack,
1: basically. 100% agree. I I think it's about time that we start talking about some crunchy strategy shit because we've been been going a little bit heavy on the feel goods and some people want to roll some dice now, huh?
0: Can I just say really quickly?
1: Yeah.
0: I think that somebody would make a mistake if they tried to take a portion of the door fee when approaching. I just wanted to say, don't do that guys. Don't ask like, say, Hey, uh, so we'll charge five and I'll take 13% or something like that. I mean, maybe you could get away with it. But for me, I have (laughs) never taken a portion of what was paid in. If I got money from hosting an event, it was because I won it, you know? I, I was that about to and say, and if you the... want,
1: <laughs> if you want that payback, you better put yes. down the, put down the effort and get the podium.
0: Exactly. So that's just kind of like the final thing I want to say is like, go in there real transparent, real clean, real honest. Just don't get weird about it, guys. Don't be like, Oh, can we do a percentage? You know, just nope. Everything that you take in from the door goes back to your store. I mean, it even mm. rhymes. So just,
1: that's how you know it's like truth. As,
0: yes. As somebody <laughs> who's
2: done that a lot, And uh, it has hurt my pocketbook directly. I have to admit, you know, the best one of the ways to sort of justify that in your head is just think of it as this is my hobby. You know, my hobby is putting on these these events for people, you know, and, you know, hobbies cost a little bit of money so you can have some fun, you know.
0: You're here. All right. So, you know, kind of moving on to the next segment. This is something that's really interesting because I think, you know, one of the things I've always enjoyed about this podcast is the different approaches people take to the game and one of the things first of all let me let me back that up the different approaches people take and then trying to share that to see if maybe that resonates with somebody and can become a useful tool for them and so tonight i believe we have a very interesting approach and uh mr emmanuel if you'd like to take it and lead us into the land of checklists
1: <laughs> yeah it to be a
0: very interesting discussion
1: Yeah, so this is a topic I brought up to uh, the group that I wanted to share around just to see what sticks because I feel that a lot of people might be doing this entirely or in part, subconsciously, intentionally, but for anyone who's not realizing they're doing this or not doing this to its fullest degree or haven't even considered this kind of approach, it's a great way to think about activations and that long-winded, Preamble: There is basically what I call a checklist approach to choosing your activations, um, or what you can also call elimination activation. And this makes a lot more sense once I explain (laughs) what it is. But um, it it, it kind of came on on its own uh, as I was learning this game, and honestly, through teaching and also just kind of talking through rules when our early games with Alex, I kind of realized what I was doing. Now. Alternating activations is the big difference here between Kill Team 2 and Kill Team 1. That is the crux of why you have to think about activations in a checklist manner. Because the game is fluid, there's no static state anymore. In Kill Team 2018, movement phase decided who was safe, who was threatened. Done. At the end of movement phase, you can look at the entire board and you already knew what was going to happen for that battle round. For Kill Team 2021, our current edition, now after your opponent activates, the board's not entirely different, but a good deal different, um, even with just one activation so every time you activate it can sometimes be paralyzing with all the analysis paralysis that you're in is what i was leading into um not so fluidly um you can be stuck in analysis paralysis of saying oh no what do i do now i was going to do this but now this is different now i have to reassess everything so i i i end up always going through a checklist approach and it's only about three steps that are pretty fluid that help me in narrowing down my decisions so i can make decisions faster this not only helps you make better decisions it also helps you not miss opportunities where you could improve your decision but then also helps speed up your play quite a bit which to us playing in tournaments we know how important that clock can be to us you want to save minutes where you can so you can take minutes when you need them so this checklist approach or elimination activation focuses on grouping your models in kind of priorities. So what I mean by elimination activation is you're going to look at all the board state, you're going to look at your models and you're going to take some of them out of the equation. I'm not thinking about these right now. I'm going to focus on these ones. And the way you do that is through number one, first step is deciding who's safe and who's not safe. So, at a given moment, if you have enough experience with the game and with your opponent's team, you're gonna know who's threatened or not. And not just at the given moment, not just where everyone is statically, who's within charge range, who is engaged and in cover, or concealed and in cover within a certain range of what they're able to move out. So that that was a weird sentence. Let me let me say it in a different way. So it's not just looking at the static state, but what your opponent can do with the, with one more activation. Meaning, after I go, what can they do in response? If there is no way that they can move a model far enough to get a shot on a guy, they're safe. You don't have to worry about them. They're not a priority to move because nothing can happen in the next turning in the next activation that's gonna threaten that model. So immediately out of my mind, and I go through from right to left of the board, I look at every single one of my models, are you safe, are you safe, are you safe, are you safe? After I've done that, I've eliminated the models that are safe, I start to look at the ones that are threatened. Okay, this one could get shot if they do this. They If they do this, if they do this, they could get charged, they could fight. And then I start to rank those models as far as which is the worst thing that could happen to me right now. Not only model wound wise, but also point wise. So I do a kind of a threat assessment of only my vulnerable models because I've already taken the ones that are safe out of the equation. So it's a much smaller pool that I can focus on, excuse me, that I can focus on. So that way it, it narrows down how much thinking I have to do about my opponent's models. Now, after I do that, I rank the threats. I do one final third pass of, okay, yeah, but what's really important for me to do right now? It might be moving a safe model to threaten one of their models. It might be moving my least threatened model into a position that makes them more threatened, but they get a tap an objective and do a mission action before the opponent gets there. So the third can sometimes override everything else, but oftentimes I find myself in a point where I, by canceling out all my safe models, I can do whatever I needed to do with one of my threatened models and get them safe or get them to do what they need to do before they're shot off the board. So after that very long winded explanation, (laughs) basically what it boils down to is step one, scratch off everyone who's safe. Just do a quick threat assessment who could possibly not get harmed at all in the next activation following mine. Number two, rank the threats that you are dealing with from worst to least worst to yeah whatever um <laughs> biggest scary bad to the least scary bad and then number three what's critical for victory points and can i do that with a threatened model um so that that's my stepwise approach and in my early games i found that i was stopping myself from activating a safe model before they needed to and i was noticing more potential threats that At a quick cursory glance where I'm kind of focusing in on just victory points. I'm missing, missing possible threats that then surprise me when they say, ha ha, you've revealed my trap card. And they pounce out with some guy that I hadn't accurately determined what they could have done because I hadn't done that secondary, um, ranking of those, uh, threats. I was too, I was too focused in on the victory points. This is a really lethal game. It's a very lethal addition. So saving wounds can oftentimes be what decides a game for you, because especially with there's certain missions, like I forget what it is. It's the one I played uh, against Alex at the end of uh, at the end of uh, SEO where you score more points in the third and fourth turning points. It's the one where the oh. the mission objectives disappear. Escalating
2: hostilities?
1: That's a one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that mission it's critical to have those bodies towards the end so if you're not doing that threat assessment and making sure you're aware of where your victory points are going to come from and saving the safe guys and dealing with and dealing with the threats in a priority manner then you're not going to win that mission absolutely
2: yeah like when i was actually just playing a game today doing something similar probably not at the highest level that you're doing it but uh uh one of the things. i love about that approach is that you know with this game more so than the last version we kind of need to break ourselves of that habit of thinking about things in the way the last edition ran with this game you know anything can happen like immediately so like i could have a model like for instance my leader model Uh, versus my spotter this is something that happened today so it's just fresh in the head you know do i want to move the the leader first even though um you know i i have a plan with that leader but he should be safe because you know he's important whereas i could move the spotter and do something else and save that exact move for later where he's going to be safer when he does it because you know the enemy's models have activated by then you know so it's i know that he's not gonna like have some uh you know guy flamer run around a container and burn him up right after he does it making the whole thing useless i know that the spotter will be the one that's burned up <laughs> and uh i was yeah. thinking about when i saw when i heard what you were saying thinking about the like what threats we that you want to make For the other team too in that same sort of checklist manner you know like what what threat will be the juiciest in the beginning compared to at the end you know that sort of thing
1: yeah and it took a long time for me to explain this and the first couple of times you're activating models it might take a while to do that full threat assessment but each activation that goes by it gets faster and faster and faster and faster because number one you've already assessed a lot of threats that have not activated yet so that plasma guy that's standing there behind a behind a container you still know what their threat range is so you're still already thinking about that and number two more people have already activated so you're only really worrying about their overwatch if it's relevant what are your thoughts chris
0: i had a couple thoughts but you know i think we breezed past uh too quickly one of the best quotes that's ever <laughs> happened on the kill zone um save time where you can so you can spend it when you need it wow mm-hmm. what <laughs> I, I wrote i just wrote that down uh that abraham lincoln cool.
1: said that Did for he? kill team no okay
0: like, <laughs> you almost <laughs> had I me there, there bud you guys just learned how gullible I am. Okay, no, but that, that was really interesting. I like how well it was put. Um, one of the things that uh, you know comes to mind in uh, my own process that I think is very interesting. Um, you know, where are regarding like who's safe, who's not safe? Um, if you can remember, is to kind of say like, what is my impulsive move? And this might not be something that's in there, but. It's really interesting um, because what that does is it's like, it acknowledges the impulsivity, gives a quick break and allows for an intelligent choice to happen. Uh,
1: Can I interject real quick? Yeah. That's me with my breacher boy, 100% of the time, especially <laughs> if I choose to forward deploy, I always have to say, is he safe? He's always the first one I check because that's my, It's it's so funny you say that because that's my impulse move. Anyway, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, um, if we're talking about uh, procedures, uh, one of the things that I think you know is an interesting one um, that not a lot of people ask, and I see a lot of mistakes begin from here. It's kind of like a house of cards that begins to crumble. Is uh, I would ask, before I move this model, what is he supporting that he now won't be once he moves? I think that this is something that comes from chess that people... Neglect in, in games like kill team, but it's still very applicable. It's like, okay You know, I have this gun on this vantage point He's looking at this dude, you know, and and th- it's keeping him safe from these two threats or something over here Because if they come and they interact with him They now have to eat some rail rifle shots or whatever happens to be venom cannon um, Whereas now it's like I moved this guy over or something to take out that big leader. Cool I did that thing Maybe I got a victory point, but I might lose half the board over something like that, right? Like, if, if your flank holds because of one guy moving, that's a thing. And it's more possible than I think people realize.
1: Yeah. Your opponent's doing the th- same threat assessment against you as you're doing against them. So it, you, that's an incredibly important point you just touched on, that your own units are threatening too. <laughs> it <laughs> right. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how behind the eight ball you think you might be in a game. Your units are threatening. And that's part of the mind game of activation order as well is what is my model doing for me? That's, that's a really interesting point. I like, I like that thought, Chris.
0: Yeah. And I think that, you know, when we're talking about support and threat, I think that there's multiple things to kind of keep in mind here about that is that support or threat, you could be talking about a model or something like an objective or an area, something of that effect. So really, you know it's just something to keep in mind and again like i said i just i've seen the house of cards crumble over this one thing and i think you know towards the top tables you look at people like micromancer they don't make mistakes and if you look at the games like uh one of the ones um one of the finals that happened uh i got to watch the stream of it and it was shane versus micromancer and one of them made a mistake and it took one it was one mistake that happened there and that was enough you know they just played so clean so precisely all that stuff that as soon as the deviation was made it was picked up on and that was enough to to secure you know win there so it's just something to think about and i you mm-hmm. know it's interesting because it kind of came up you know when you were talking about that it's like yeah i don't i think that people's impulsivity and people's uh misunderstanding of support are two things that i would add to checklist
2: i couldn't agree more <laughs> you guys are awesome i i don't know i think that um when it comes to this game in general just like even having like multiple checklists you know for different things with different priorities you know you have your checklist of safety you have your checklist of aggression you have your checklist of of, um, like needs or, or goals or, or, um, you know, your tech ops, your, your mission primaries, these sort of things. And you have to kind of weigh all three of them, you know, it's not just a, as simple as, as someone being safe, but you know, it's also like those things can be achieved later. They don't have to be achieved immediately. And I think that's the beauty of the system is that it lets you sort of, you know, decide, oh, this thing needs to happen, but it doesn't need to happen right now, let's be real, you know (laughs) it just needs to happen before the end of the turning point, you know yeah
1: Yeah. Um, one thing you said, you might develop other checklists and all that kind of stuff Um, I think a lot about one scene, the only scene I remember from the movie Troy with Brad Pitt it's early on in the movie this will make sense, I promise (laughs) (laughs) it's early on in the movie and Brad Pitt, I think he's playing Achilles. I think that's who he, he would be. Yeah. Um, and he's training some kid. And he switches his practice sword from his dominant hand to his uh, non-dominant hand. And like puts it against like the kids, like the back of their neck. And it's like, aha, I got you. And the kid says, you told me never to switch hands and use my other hand. And he says to the kid, when you know what you're doing... You're not going to be looking to me for advice or a lesson something like that he says when you know what you're doing you're not going to be following my rules anymore and that <laughs> that's kind of what you're getting at in a, in a roundabout way that these these kind of techniques and this kind of checklist guideline this is how i kind of go about things and there's a lot more nuance. There's like micro checklists inside there i could talk about this for about two hours right but by having this guidelines and having this framework you can then develop your own process and i think i think by the by the time you're up there playing against me in the top table, you'll have your own checklist and that'll be fun to play against. Uh,
0: I just had a quick question for you, Emmanuel, um, because I was wondering with your, your checklist, um, uh, how much does initiative play into that? Uh, because like, for example, I know for myself, uh, I, I had a game today with Shane. I had a two-step plan all planned out and then it was like initiative happened. It was like, okay, it just went out the window in terms of you know what was going on because <laughs> He, he. You know he knows what's going to happen, and so he's going to go to stop that. So then immediately it's on to something else. And I'm just wondering, you know, i I've never had it laid out this way before with like the step process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just wondering, you know, in your own experience, do you find that initiative plays with this? Uh,
1: what do you think? Well, so um, when it's the first turning point, at least for me, I tend to deploy very conservatively, um, expecting to lose initiative. Um, I don't want to leave anyone out there hoping that, I I, I never want to deal with any tactic with a hope that I win um, initiative. I plan to lose initiative. And I think a lot of of players will express the same things. They hope to lose first activation, or they plan to lose first activation, so that way they're not caught with their pants down, right? Um, so first turning point deployment and whether I do any pre movements or forward deploys and anything like that, the intent is always to make those decisions expecting, I'm not going to get the first activation. And then my checklist towards the end of a turning point, well, kind of, I- I'm always making a conscious decision of where I leave my models and where there are, where they are at the end of an activation, but more so at the end of a turning point where the, and en- the opponent's team, I almost call them the enemy. Uh, where the opponent's team is more static, um, I, I'm making decisions, expecting to lose initiative for the following, for the subsequent turning points. That way, I'm making a, pre- a it's almost like a preemptive assessment of what I'm going to have to deal with if I have to let if they get to activate again before me.
2: A pre assessment,
1: if you will. A pre assessment. <laughs> yeah. You can get pregnant from pre assessment. (laughs) Uh oh. Okay. Kill
0: team after dark. Uh, So, really quickly, you know, I don't know if we just close it there. Uh, I just had a question about acceptable risk really quickly. Uh, You know, try. That's what I just talked about, right? (laughs) Try to maintain some sense of. uh, Professionality, something like that. professionalism, whatever. The, the joke didn't didn't happen. It, it didn't make it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so <laughs> just gonna ask about you know ranking threats uh, because you're you're talking about like who's safe, not safe. Um, do you look at that in terms of risk? Like, uh, like like okay, just just framing this out myself because like uh, I'll have a game and there will be a fork of the road. There are two mm-hmm. paths. And what I see is two things that I want to accomplish. um, But both of those will not get to happen. Most likely. And Mm -hmm. so my question at that point begins to think, does the opponent see this is going to happen and what the danger is from both of these things? And it's kind of like, then all of a sudden you're doing your stuff and you're like, well, crap. Crap i actually don't get to do either of those right now because i gotta charge this guy over here to stop him from moving down you know what i mean so i'm just wondering you know is that stuff going on for you as well uh when you're when you're doing these checklist format oh yeah does that like solve it uh
1: sometimes (laughs) the opponent makes your decisions easy for you Like, like the example that you said right there sometimes the the best option is to forego your plan um have a plan but be flexible is what i always tell people Um, When I'm when I'm coaching and teaching have a plan, but be flexible because that third option was better Even though it wasn't what you want to do because you had a backup plan because like okay I can't do that now, but hey, I got two more turning points And if this guy gets a charge into my back line, I'm gonna get zero turning points to get that done so um, my threat assessment is typically um, What's threatening as far as wounds incoming? points being denied, points being earned, as well as map control. That's kind of so when I mentioned before, kind of there's all these micro checklists um, that I typically have. That's what I mean by it, like threat assessment on the 35,000 foot level is Who's gonna get got, right? Who's gonna get yeah. shot? Who's gonna get charged and beaten up? Who I might not want to be in a fight, that kind of stuff. But threat assessment, as as you highlighted right there, is much more complex than just who's gonna get hurt. It's also points lost, points gained by the other, uh, by the other player, which is just as much as you losing a point. Um, and in addition to that, just losing map control and. Uh, positioning and letting someone sneak through the cracks.
0: Like, let's say you have a couple options, right? And mm-hmm. you've assessed the risks, things like that, you know, you rank the threats, uh, you know who's safe, not, set, uh, not safe, but you have a couple options, and one of them is kind of greedy. Right? It might be like, hmm, I need three, four ups right here, or something like that, you know, on, on like five dice or something. I, I mean, it's like, could happen, but it might not do you always go to safe or do you, uh, sometimes take it? And I know it's kind of a weird question without like something on the it, board. It, so that it, effect.
1: Yeah, it is. Because I mean, you can paint a scenario where three, four ups on five dice would then lead to a three point swing. Right. That's that might saying. be it's worth, like, that might be worth the risk. So yeah. th- there there's, it's, it's a very kind of fluid decision you have to make because what are you getting for that risk? Um, if it's equivalent to two three ups on five dice, and it's an equivalent exchange, and I'm obviously I'm, I'm gonna choose the one that's more likely gonna happen, unless there's you know stuff down the line that I need to have that control, and it's risky to do that, because then the next turning point it ushers in two more points and it starts to snowball after that sometimes and i know i have cp banked and i know i have just a scratch i can use if i'm playing my commandos to make sure like if i know i have stuff that i can push that probability in my favor i might make the riskier move if downstream it's going to help stuff but yeah it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to without a board in front of me it's hard to make that make that call
2: yeah i think any any good plan needs to have a little bit of risk you know like if you don't have a little bit of risk, you know, there's usually not as much reward at the end of it, right? So you kind of have to also sort of weigh in, like, you know, this risky plan could be what what wins me the game, you know?
0: One of the things, uh, I kind of have tried to codify this because I do, uh, in last edition especially, it was like default to aggression, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Like I had this, you know, with the coaching clients and stuff, it's like, no, it's like, this is how you want to do it, you know? get them first get them hard uh i don't think that aged quite as well uh coming into second edition uh quite the opposite yeah right um but one of the things that i do think carried over from that is that uh i think if you're presented with a choice you know fairly equal but one is kind of perhaps a, a bigger thing you need to look at whether or not you're behind because I think that's when you gamble. Because like, if something big, oh holy shit, doesn't happen, and you're gonna lose this game, that's mm-hmm. the time to be taking the risks.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: at that point, you've lost the game. Come back uh, as, as good as you can. Uh, I think it's kind of like the rule of thumb on that that I've gone to. It was just like I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was just like I didn't know if anybody else kind of vibe with that. Uh,
2: totally. Yeah, I think there's okay. some, there's something to be said, though. Like, one of the big differences in this edition compared to the last edition. Like, the last edition, you couldn't make any mistakes because you had, like, three points to get with most secondaries. And if you didn't get them all, like, at least, like, the th- the last three turns, sometimes you could score them with the first turn. But, you you know, you'd be kind of screwed. Whereas <laughs> this time, you're getting usually two points. So you can kind of have a little buffer of like two, where you, two rounds where you can kind of like make those sort of like decisions and 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 uh, you know you have a little bit of leeway with like like you were saying earlier about the safety versus the threat you know that sort of thing, something to, something to think about.
0: Well, I hope you guys liked this episode. I sure did. I learned a lot. Uh, you know, it was interesting to hear about how so many people. Can, can have such a similar experience with building and also, you know, hearing a fresh perspective on uh, approaching the game in general, a checklist on what you're going to be doing to move. So, hope that provided value for you. This is
1: Berenid 40k. Uh, you can find me on YouTube Berenid 40k. And this has been Emanuel. You can find me um, on YouTube with my buddy Alex on Strategic Advantage uh, on YouTube and you can follow my Insta with, uh, with at eman.paints
2: and I'm Sheldon, and you can find me at KillTeamStream.com and all the associated Kill Team Stream uh, social media accounts.
0: Thank you guys for watching. We'll see you next week.
1: Thanks for listening to the Kill Zone Podcast. Your home for real talk for competitive Kill Team. Brought to you by the Frontline Gaming Network. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.